Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. My name is Arjun Dave Arora, and I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support founders and funders and help accelerate their efforts via people, strategy, and capital. And now off to John. Hi, I'm John Lowe here. I'm an uh, advisor at Valence Advisory. Collaborate very closely with Arjun Arora, and I'm the lead on leadership coaching and communication. So today's guest is Eli Rubel. He's officially a founder, but rather than let us talk, he's going to do most of the talking. And so to kick us off, Eli, what is your current role and what are you working on now? Let's start there. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So right now, actually, I thought I would be running a software company, but it turns out I really enjoy helping other companies grow, like in the early stages. After I my first SaaS business was acquired, and I thought I'd jump right back into another, took some time, and uh, fast forward like four years, I just kept getting dropped into these portfolio companies with the mandate of like, hey, these are Series A companies. They need help with growth. They don't have like a strong marketing muscle yet can you help them like spend six months and just get them accelerate the timeline to growth for them. And so after four years of doing that, I was like, Whoa, time flew by. I guess this is what I do now. I founded Mattermade, which is a B2B growth firm. And we basically just focus on helping accelerate outcomes for marketing organizations, usually around the series A level. Thank you. Thank you. And so Eli, uh, what are some of the things specific activities in your role as a founder and lead of Mattermade that you enjoy the most? What's the most rewarding for you? For sure, the most rewarding thing is going in and seeing an amazing company with a lot of really talented people and getting to be part of helping them achieve their goals faster. I know that sounds cheesy and maybe even sounds like a sales pitch, but like truly it's like you go in, everybody's really gung-ho. They have these metrics that they all really want to hit and they're just willing to do anything like move mountains at that stage of a company to get there and being able to go in and help provide a little bit of foresight since we've been there and done that so many times and help them avoid some of those pitfalls. Like it's just really gratifying to, to get to experience that. Thanks. And, you know, I say this with respect, but, you know, founders and growth stage startups vary in their perspectives of what agencies can provide, right? For sure. And since you come from a background with what I would arguably say a founder mindset, what problems did you say foresee in the traditional agency model that wasn't that was a friction point or a misvalue add to founders that you and your team at Mattermade have been aggressive on filling? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and it comes up all the time, right? Like people generally have a really awful taste in their mouth with agencies. And a lot of the time it's, it's like the traditional agency model is pretty misaligned, right? Like they're trying to run the clock, right? Burn hours, or they're taking a spiff on, you know, like your ad spend. They're, they're just focused on like trying to get you to spend as much as possible. So for us, like we, first off, we got rid of that model. We were like, we just, we're on retainer and we're going to sprint as hard as a marketing org would sprint for you in-house and that's just how we work and so that way our incentives are completely aligned right like if we don't succeed as a company then Mattermade hasn't succeeded as a company right so that, that's kind of the first piece 
The second piece goes into this model around like, if you, if you think, and this is something that we've talked a lot about with our VC partners, like there's starting to be this groundswell in this direction, which is like starting a company is already super risky enough, right? You're taking a huge bet on the product. Then you're taking a huge bet on building the right engineering organization to build that product. And marketing and sales more and more, most more so marketing than sales, but more and more, it's like, there's just certain blocking and tackling certain basic playbooks and strategies that need to be rolled out, at least in that early stage. And then you get more creative and more funky and like more aggressive as you spend more and and kind of go as you grow. But to get to that first, like to get to series B milestones and sometimes even series C milestones, it's a lot of the same or similar stuff. And there's nuances at each company, sure. But basically this thesis we've developed, that's so much different than a normal agency in partnership with these VCs is like, why risk another org? Why, why, why risk your company on a whole nother group that is marketing, right? Because now you're hiring four folks who have never met each other before, who all come from different backgrounds, hoping that they gel together, not to mention the time it takes to hire them. And so it just introduces another giant point of risk, an early volatile company's life cycle. And so for us, it's about making that less volatile, taking that risk out of the picture, right? Like we've helped like 10 companies a year or more that we take from, you know, 0 million to 10 million plus in revenue. So our pattern matching is just far better. We see much more than your average employee, you know, going two, three years at a time company, they just don't see that much breadth. Great. Thank you. And, you know, just because like any partnership, the best way partnerships work out or collaborations work out is everyone does their part and owns their part. In terms of the founders and startups that you look to partner with, what do you think those founders or teams could typically do better at the early stage when partnering and looking to leverage an agency such as yourself? What can they do better? Because, you know, it's all well and say, oh, to blame an agency, right? But yeah. if you change your mind every two weeks, if you lack transparency and conviction and clarity, well, that's on you, right? So I just want to kind of swing the pendulum to the founder's side, where it's like, hey, don't like, you got to take some radical ownership here as well, right? So I'd like to offer you a forum and an opportunity, not to vent, but to share some yeah. sentiment and experience around there. And I uh, do John- this with respect to the ecosystem as well. You know? Sure. Yeah, for sure. It's stuff that people need to hear. And that's one of the great things about being outside brought in is that when you're in-house, eventually politics take over. You're trying to you know, do the right thing for the company while also not like stepping on people's toes too much. And this is delicate balance. Whereas outside in, we can say, look like the baby's ugly and we want to get the baby to the point where we can sell it to someone. So like it, you can be very objective, but to get back to your question, and I'm so glad you brought this up. The first thing is that marketing and sales will never solve a product that is not meant to be bought by someone, right? Like if the product market fit is not there, we could run the most complex integrated lifecycle marketing campaigns with all of the best talent in marketing and all the biggest budget. And the only people who are buying that product are, are idiots, right? Like they're just people who have too much budget and whatever. So like, you don't want to bank your budget or you want, you want to bank your company success on people who happened to buy your product because they had too much money, right? You need a product that just like the only problem that remains is that they haven't heard about you. And the minute they hear about you, they're like, holy shit, look, yes, let's hear, let's learn more, right? Maybe they're not ready to buy, but at least the problem that your product is solving and the way that it's solving it clicks. So that's the first and most important thing. And a lot of the time we'll choose not to work with companies just purely on that basis where like we don't believe, it's not that they're not gonna get there. Like it's not a negative thing. It's just like, 
it's not smart for a company to spend on marketing until they have at least some early signs of that fit being there, right? And then you can pour on the gas and then it makes sense to bring someone like Mattermade or bring in and hire your own in-house team. So that's one. Another one, ooh, this is like a favorite of mine and I loved it. Now, it's funny, as we do more and more of these engagements, we bring these things up upfront, like before they even do the thing, we just tell them, hey, this is a thing that people sometimes do. And we know that this is going to hinder your company's ability to grow. And it sounds silly right now, but I promise you like six months from now, you're going to be feeling riled up about this thing and just like, let's remember this moment. And so this is it. When you're a founder and, and again, like I was a CEO of a SaaS business that raised venture and got acquired. So like, I get it. You get so passionate about everything, right? You're, you're passionate about the product. You're passionate about the images that go on the website. You're passionate about the second sentence in the subhead on the third page of your you know, feature set. Like everything matters to you. And one of the most important things to communicate to these founders is that when it comes to marketing, your opinion really doesn't matter that much. It's not that it doesn't matter. You're the one where we get all these great hypotheses from, and then we do our market research and we combine your hypotheses and your point of view on, on kind of where the market's going and your vision with what the market is doing today. But from that point on, like the actual copywriting, the actual images, the actual like button, like all this just nitty gritty in the weed stuff, like whether or not you personally like how ad creative looks, for example, doesn't fucking matter. Like just to be blunt. And there's so many, we see it time and time again, founders waste so much effort and energy and cycles, like just oh, trying to get it right the first time. And the reason it doesn't matter, it's not just my opinion. It's not just because like, I don't like that feedback. It's not true. The reason it doesn't matter is because a good marketing org is testing these things so aggressively that like, it's not about one line. It's about how did the 10 lines perform? How did the 10 different images perform and like aggressive multivariate testing. And so getting into this mindset early on where you are not the source of truth as the founder, when it comes to these decisions, you're the source of inspiration. And then you have a marketing org you trust to come up with a series of tests and then the data is the final decision maker. And that's like, that'll save a founder so much time if they get that in their head early and, and just like embrace it. And, and just so much heartache too. Like it's, it, it sucks when your baby isn't the one that wins, but really all you care about is that your company grows and that people use it, right? And so staying focused on that North Star metric is a lot more important than some of those nitty gritty decisions. So that's a freebie out yeah. there for, for founders. <laughs> yeah, really well said. The, um, thanks for sharing that, obviously. And if any founders watching and they want to pay him 10 K because he, he say, please, you know, matter made takes deposits. My Venmo, the, um, my Venmo <laughs> <laughs> um, but it reminds me of, you know, I did copywriting for some time back in the day. And I learned from a, a book written in the 1930s by Claude Hopkins called scientific advertising. And back then advertising was considered an art form, not a science. Right. And, it still probably is a bit of an art form, but literally now, like 70 plus years later, it is actually very scientific. It's testing, iterating, and using rationale and feedback, fast feedback loops to optimize. And so, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Completely. <laughs> um, completely. You know, as a marketer, as a lead, as someone who's deeply in the discipline of marketing for growth stage startups yourself, Eli? Yeah. How have you justified or like uh, stuck to Mattermade and its vision, even though arguably a lot of people want to hire you as a VP of marketing for their company? Or number two, they want to pick your brain in terms of how to train and identify 
marketing talent that can step into those roles that appropriate for zero to uh, for not zero to one year talking about product to market fit just before one one to um, n. Yeah, can you talk through that a bit with us? Yeah, yeah for sure. I'll work backwards. So starting from the you know companies who might want advice on how to hire someone who would make us completely obsolete, right? I'm so supportive of, we're not under the illusion that we are going to run a marketing org for someone forever, right? In fact, we're very specific in saying like, by all means, I'll give people advice all day long. I'll connect them with great VPs or CMOs uh, when I can in marketing talent. Because the fact of the matter is like, we exist because of the natural gap that takes place when a team, say they raise $10 million series A. And they've got these board directive goals that they know they need to hit. And they probably have one AE and maybe they just hired their VP of sales and they've got this product market fit. And now they're like, well, shit, we've got the money in the bank. We need to sprint. We need to build a marketing engine. And all of a sudden, pretty quickly, like they hire a recruiter and they realize that, okay, to find a good VP of marketing, it might take three months if things go really well. And then that VP of marketing is going to need to get their bearings for probably another two months if things go really well. And then they're going to have their bearings and decide what hires they want to make, right? And then those hires might take another three months if things go really well. And that's like things going well, right? We all have been in the seat where we're trying to make key hires and like it's a competitive market and you don't always get the people you want right away. So that's why Mattermade exists. And that's why I can champion great people into great companies when it makes sense. And we can still exist as a firm because we're brought in when the CEO or the VCs realize, or even the VP of sales a lot of the time brings us in because they're like, well, hey man, I've got to feed my reps and I want to grow. So like bring these guys in for the next six months, take the pressure off the hiring process. And the whole while we get to help them find those right people. So it's cool. We, I mean, we're not recruiters, but we certainly help like help them with those decisions, connect them to great people when we can, and then ultimately lead a transition process and train and onboard those folks. So it's just, it's about having, not having a gap you know, when you're trying to grow. Really well said. I'm all for pitching good services, right? So I'm just going to ask a question anyway, not intentionally to like sell you sure. and Mattermade. Although if that side effect happens, I'm totally happy. <laughs> so as an agency, how do you stay nimble to like keep your ramp up time from first conversation to an agreement would say to help a startup and its team? How do you speed up that ramp up time? How do you stay nimble and get into operation quickly? Because arguably that's a value proposition in comparison to say, hey, waiting on a key hire, right? And then onboarding them. Yep, totally. Over time, we've become very, very good just through the sheer number of companies at that same stage that have brought us in. Like we, we've just become so, it's so predictable for us at this point, for the most part, like the patterns are there where we can start to really shorten the time by following like, I'll give you an example. Most companies come to us, they are not the first time CEO, right? They've done this before. And that's why it makes a lot of sense to them. Like, oh, we get that there's going to be this natural gap. We're not disillusioned at all about how long it might take to make these hires. We need you to come in and help us get to productivity right away. The very first thing we have to remind everyone is like, we could start campaigning aggressively with budget and like account-based marketing, all that jazz. We could start that in a week's time if you wanted to, but we're going to tell you why you don't want to. And then you're going to make the decision. And almost everyone comes to us thinking they want that. And then we take a step back and say, here's the thing. Let's say that you spend 10 grand next month, or it, let's say when we spin up these campaigns, we spend $10,000 on, on this first channel test, whatever it is. And we get X conversion rate. If we didn't take a step back first to really make sure that the messaging is tied to the right audience and the right persona and the use case and all of that industry, everything. 
if all of those little details aren't right, you probably just threw away $9,000, maybe the whole $10,000, you threw it away. So like there's this common challenge where people feel that activity is success. And then that those are the companies where six months down the road, they're like, why isn't marketing working? Or why isn't sales or why isn't X working? And the answer is like, it's the old leaky bucket thing, right? It's really important to spend that ramp up time. It's highly productive, focusing on like really understanding your buyers. And then once you have that and the messaging aligned in the audience, then you can build a really great list. And then you know that that list is right for your product. So you can create an offer that's right for those personas in that list. And then when you go hit the ground with those campaigns, like the money is really being put to use all the conversion rates will prove that. So I think that like for us, we usually sprint through that process in 30 days and then start launching campaigns is like our, is our North star. Um, and usually that's the right amount of time to, to get that right. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. You've powered through a lot of nuggets of wisdom and good advice through this. I also want to give you some time and opportunity like to talk through, you know, as both a service professional and a founder, because yeah. you're in this unique position, what are some of the key challenging times you've gone through? And I'm sure they're numerous, right? But what are some that are most memorable for you? And what did they teach you? Oh, wow. That's I know, a big question. We're going deep, going deep. Yeah, I'm trying to decide where to start. I mean, in my first SaaS business, back when I was in the, not in the services side, we went through co-founders having to leave, like all sorts of the kind of the things that happen to a lot of founders that a lot of founders don't openly talk about necessarily. And I think our culture as an ecosystem has got become a lot more healthy over time around that stuff. And people are more comfortable sharing those stories. When we raised for Glider was the Glider.com was the company that I started. It was a contract lifecycle management, uh, CLM and the Gardner Magic Quadrant. And I mean, we had to fully reboot and start from scratch six months in like, like zero product. We had to fully reboot. And that was like a huge shock to the system and a real test of just like, do you really want to do this? Like, are you really in this? So I think that was an early on like tough times. I mean, shit, without saying anything that I would get in trouble for saying like the business was acquired. And then we ended up in court for three years with the acquiring company because like M&A is hard and people do shady stuff when you're young and early in your career and they assume that you're not going to punch back. So that was like a trying time for me personally. And the identity crisis that came from like, this sounds maybe shallow, but in my brain, I was like, I'm an exited founder. Like I've sold my company. Times are great. Like, this is awesome. I'm going to start my next company. We're good to go. And then at the same time, like I was still living like a college student on a ramen diet because none of the acquisition payout had happened the way that it was supposed to. And for three years, it was like this weird people were like, Oh man, you like, where's your sailboat? Like things must be great. And I was like, Oh, if only it was that simple. I'd say like on the pre services side, those were definitely some really intense moments services side is so different. I mean, I'm learning new stuff. Every six months, our business looks nothing like it did six months prior. And I think the biggest challenges are just like, as we start to bring on more and more talent to our team, how do we maintain this really tight? It's for me, it's about culture. Like how do we, I never want us to grow beyond a point as a firm where we're not like seen and, and perceived and, and in actuality are this like nimble team of assassins, right? Like we, what a Dropbox is one of our clients and they're an outlier in the sense that they're much larger than most of our normal clients. And they brought us in specifically because they wanted to think like a startup when it came to marketing. Like they wanted to be nimble, agile, not be afraid to break things like all the stereotypical kind of like posters you see on the wall at Facebook. 
And I never want that to change, right? And so I think that's a continual challenge as we bring on more and more talent to our team is like keeping it tight knit, keeping it nimble, and uh, still being known as the people who come in and kick ass for them. Great, thank you. And just because we have maybe a few more minutes, Eli, as you, as you think through like the matter made culture and the company you wanna build and its constituents, right? future and current yeah. team members, what are some of the core values or pillars you think define the culture you are creating and would like to refine at MatterMade? Sure. Oh, we were just going over these the other day uh, as a team. We were going through our own, we were, we were dog fooding ourselves, going through our own kind of like, hey, we haven't touched our brand in a little while. Let, let's polish it up and let's have it start and kind of emanate out of our guiding principles. So, I, I mean, those range from like being revenue for us always comes below client happiness, right? Like that for a services business, I think is really important. Yeah, you know, every week we're faced with some decisions that may tie back to this where it's like, okay, well, we could just optimize for revenue or we could optimize for making sure the client's happy. And so that's a gut check that I run everyone through and want everyone to kind of be approaching problem solving from that lens. The other is just constantly be learning. It's so easy to go heads down and run the stuff that we know works because it works, but the landscape does change and there are these cool new things that we can be trying. And so having a culture of, of people who are just thirsty for information and willing to try things and willing to fail at those things. But you know, that's how you find those golden nuggets in marketing and, and really get it latch onto something. And this last one, it probably stems from just some of the more painful experiences along the career path, but it's only work with good people. So like be willing to say no, even if someone has a giant check and they're like, Hey, we're going to pay you half a million bucks to do this thing for the next year. We just have to be comfortable and happy saying no, so that we just work with surround ourselves, both our own team and clients and partners with just like solid people. This one really rings true for me. It's, it's like, it's so easy for, for Silicon Valley to feel transactional if you let it, you know, and, and it's so easy for us to kind of fall into this way of being with each other that doesn't feel human anymore. You know, it's just like, okay, cool. What are we doing? Like, what are you doing for me? What am I doing for you? And so uh, my, my real focus here is like, we just want to be human. We just want to enjoy the people that we're, that we're collaborating with um, all the way around the table. So I think that's a, a good place to leave the mic on the table. <laughs> right on. Thank right you. on. Thanks for sharing so much in such a short period of time, Eli. Really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. Totally. Um, Thank you. <laughs>